Geraldine, can I say thank you for getting out of the way? I didn't, I didn't mean that really. I mean, you give us space to worship Jesus. So thank you so much. Thank you. Let's show our appreciation, shall we? It's fantastic. Well, good evening, everyone. As I said earlier, my name is uh, Phil Wall. It's uh, good to be here with you. And uh, I spend my life, um, my workaday life, um, involved uh, running a business. I um, train leaders in corporations, coach leaders in corporations. And a good chunk of my time was also spent working with orphans in Africa. Great privilege of my life. I'm not a musician, so I didn't really know what that thing was around the drummer. I think you've really, really got to have bad breath to have to have something like that, haven't you? You've, it's really got to be particularly spectacular. Uh, to have something um, that big. Well, welcome, 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 welcome to Spring Harvest, and uh, it's fantastic to have you here. It's a privilege of those of us that uh, had the, uh, the opportunity to work with Spring Harvest to have you to come and be part of uh, what is being offered here, and we hope that we'll serve you uh, very, very well. And uh, tonight, we begin, the, uh, we begin with the, uh, the big encounters. We're going to begin tonight looking at one of the very familiar stories from the life of Peter. And what we're going to do this week as we look at this man's very, very familiar life is to try and see it in a way and hear it in a way that is different to how we've seen it and heard it before. Because sometimes the things that we see and the things that we hear aren't actually the things that we're supposed to see and we're supposed to hear, and vice versa. I uh, have um, three uh, wonderful children, and at Christmas time, um, my wife and I, Wendy, we wanted to take our children to uh, see the movie in the Nativity. If you know, there's a big kind of movie uh, called The Nativity out this Christmas. It wasn't really a, a, a blockbuster. Uh, the book did better. But um, <laughs> we wanted to go to see it. So we, we went down and found a, a, a cinema in Swiss Cottage uh, that, um, that was showing it. And so we turned up. This was, I think, the day after Boxing Day. Uh, and there was initially in the theatre, there was just myself and my family, uh, a very, very strange old lady that kept sitting in the back going thought it was Skippy for a second, but no, it wasn't. It was an old lady. And then about 15 minutes into the movie, the local Pentecostal church turned up. But that was it. It was just us and them. No, it's true. Oh, they did. They did. And so it was one of those movies we went through, and there was this great moment right towards the end. You know the story really well. Uh, you know, the, the kings have been, and they've bowed down and done all that stuff, and they've gone off to do their thing. And, uh, and then Joseph, uh, in a dream, uh, God says to him uh, that, he should, that Herod's coming for him, and he should go to Egypt. So this amazing moment where you see this scene where you say Joseph uh, with his donkey next to him with Mary on the donkey holding the baby. And then this kind of God voice comes on and says, Joseph, Joseph, take your wife and baby and flee to Egypt. And my eight-year-old daughter turned to my wife and said, Mommy, the donkey's name must be Flea. You couldn't write that, could you? Sometimes what we see and sometimes what we hear isn't what we're supposed to see, isn't what we're supposed to hear, and sometimes there are new things to learn. So as we come to these very familiar stories from the life of Peter, we're hoping that you might learn some new things. As this week, look at this amazing thing about the one holy Catholic apostolic church. 
the body of Christ, the family of God. That's who we are. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are. And in the evening, say, we're going to be looking at this uh, story of Peter. My job tonight is just to kind of introduce that theme to you uh, by looking at uh, this story from John chapter 21. And Rob's going to help me in a minute and doing a, a, a creative expression of this story. But let me just uh, read to you. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. Just this first part of this uh, ending of uh, the book of John, from John chapter uh, 21. We've just had this amazing moment where Jesus met with his disciples, he's blessed them, brought peace upon them, and then he has breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. This amazing, amazing moment. So, chapter 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. They were there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so here we have this kind of bizarre story at the end of the book of John. I mean, they kind of reached the climax at the end of John chapter 20 where Jesus had breathed his Holy Spirit upon them. This kind of climatic, victorious moment, that would have been, you'd have thought, the moment to end it. A little bit like the Lord of the Rings, really, number one. Anyone seen the movie, Lord of the Rings, number one? Yeah, a few of you. You know, you had this fantastic battle scene, these amazing things, and then it ends with Frodo and Sam climbing a hill. A bit disappointing, frankly. I mean, others of you would have been thrilled by some of the actors. Any ladies here, fans of Legolas? Orlando Bloom, any ladies here? Any men here, fans of Arwen? Any fans of Gimli? Let us pray. Anyway, um, this is kind of anti-climax thing. You're saying, well, hey, what's, what's the fishing thing? And some scholars have suggested that, well, this is basically just Luke 5 revisited. You know, it happened once before, the fish, no, you know, no catching the fish, the great catch, then Peter walks on the water, Jesus calls him out. It's just, it's kind of a, a rehashing of that particular story. But I want to suggest you there's something far more profound going on in this story. Something far deeper, something far richer. But actually this story is not just a revisitation, it's not a rehashing of, an origi- of another story, but actually it's a repeat to lead to remembrance. This is about remembrance. 
Remembrance of some of the key discipleship moments of Peter's life. Jesus is drawing Peter to this place of restoration. Drawing him to this amazing, fantastic, spectacular place of being restored, having let Jesus down so badly. And so Jesus, as he kind of draws him into this story, takes him through this experience, he's taking him back to these key moments of discipleship. For example, he'd been there before. Out fishing all night, caught nothing. Jesus turns up, whack, mass and great catch of fish. Fantastic. Jesus then calling him. And then Peter getting out and walking on the water. And then, of course, Peter gets to the, uh, uh, the beach, and there is Jesus, loaves and fishes. He remembers with, with wonder and awe that that, that, night, that that day when they fed so many people from just a few loaves and a few fishes. These are foundational moments in Peter's journey of faith. And then, of course, there's a symbolic moment of the breaking of the bread. I remind of the story of in John uh, 13 through to 17, the last supper, the Lord's Supper. And shortly after that, his betrayal. Jesus begins to revisit these amazing moments of remembrance of Peter as he leads him towards restoration. It's not just a rehashing of a story we find in Luke 5. And why is this? Well, two reasons I think that this is happening. Number one, because Peter is about to be restored. Peter's about to be restored to that place of honor and privilege of what it is to know and love and serve Jesus. And secondly... Because Peter, were part of the, Peter was part of the people of God. And the people of God are people of remembrance. The people of God are people of remembrance. Throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, altars were made with, with rocks and stones to remember the moment. Words were written, scriptures were written. Things were done to remember what God had done. We are the people of Israel who... Remember, 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 remember. We are the one holy Catholic apostolic church. We are the people of remembrance. We are the memory bank of faith. And so Jesus takes Peter through a journey of remembrance. And for a few moments tonight, we're going to remember this story and see what our God can teach us as we remember as the memory bank of faith that we represent, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Let's revisit this story together. Rob. Peter's story is all about beaches. Beaches and, um, and water. Beaches and surprising water. And I don't know about you guys, but I love beaches. I do. I love the sandcastles and... I love the little buckets and the little shovels and the ice creams and the donkeys. I got a little grandson. Um, he's going to be one in a couple of weeks. And um, we took him to the beach. And, you know, the first time you take, you know, somebody you love little like that to the beach, it's just amazing. You know, and there he was sort of paddling and wandering about with his big, giant, oversized sun hat on. And it was just the most amazing thing. Would you mind being a little kid on a beach with me for just a moment? Would that be okay? Because I want to do a story. I want you to go like this. I want you to go, boo. One, two, three, boo. That's very good. I want you to go, phew. One, two, three, phew. That's even better. <laughs> I want you to go, canoe. One, two, three, canoe. Lovely. 
I want you to point to somebody and go, you. One, two, three, you. I want you to pretend you're counting and go, two. One, two, three, two. I want you to point to your footwear and go, shoo. One, two, three, shoo. Lovely. I want you to pretend you're a bit disgusted and go, oh, poo. One, two, three, oh, poo. I want you to pretend you're a little excited and go, woohoo, woohoo. And I want you to pretend you're affirming something and go, it's true, it's true. Here we go. Peter and his friends were sailing one night. Peter and his friends were sailing one night. Peter and his friends were sailing one night when they thought they spotted a ghost. <gasps> Boo! When they thought they spotted a ghost. <gasps> Boo! When they thought they spotted a ghost. <gasps> Boo! That ghost looks like Jesus, said Peter to his friends. That ghost looks like Jesus, said Peter to his friends. That ghost looks like Jesus, said Peter to his friends. And all of his friends were believed. Phew! All of his friends were believed. Phew! All of his friends were believed. Phew! But if that's Jesus, said Peter, then he's walking on the water. If that's Jesus, said Peter, then he's walking on the water. If that's Jesus, said Peter, then he's walking on the water. Without the aid of a canoe. <laughs> With Without the aid of a canoe. Without the aid of a canoe. If you're really Jesus, said Peter to the ghost man. If you're really Jesus, said Peter to the ghost man. If you're really Jesus, said Peter to the ghost man. Then let me come walk with you. Then let me come walk with you. Then let me come walk with you. Step out of the boat, said Jesus to Peter. Step out of the boat, said Jesus to Peter. Step out of the boat, said Jesus to Peter. There's room out here for two. <laughs> There's room out here for two. There's room out here for two. So Peter stepped out, walked over to Jesus. Peter stepped out, walked over to Jesus. Peter stepped out, walked over to Jesus with nothing but sea under his shoe. With nothing but sea under his shoe. With nothing but sea under his shoe. Then Peter got scared. He stopped trusting Jesus. Peter got scared. He stopped trusting Jesus. Peter got scared. He stopped trusting Jesus. And he started to sink. Oh, poo. <laughs> he started to sink. Oh, poo. He started to sink. Oh, poo. So Jesus helped Peter back into the boat. Jesus helped Peter back into the boat. Jesus helped Peter back into the boat. And all of his friends cheered. Woohoo! All of his friends cheered. Woohoo! All of his friends cheered. Woohoo! You're somebody special, said Peter to Jesus. You're somebody special, said Peter to Jesus. You're somebody special, said Peter to Jesus. The Son of God, it's true. The Son of God, it's true. The Son of God, it's true. The end. <laughs> Cheers. Now, the other thing I like about being on the beach is the holiday-type reading. And the book I've chosen for this year's uh, little walk on the beach is, if you want to walk on water, <laughs> you've got to get out of the boat. <laughs> Peter got out of the boat and he found himself in surprising waters. We'd been out there all night. It was a cold one. No clouds and a full moon. I said to Andrew, maybe we've lost our touch. Out there all night. Not a single bite. Why? Fishing didn't feel right anymore. We were just drifting, waiting, reflecting. We all felt the same, in the same boat, literally. Finally, I said, I've had enough. Turn the boat around. I need something to eat. 
we're going home. So we did. We turned it around, still no breeze, the boat just drifting towards the shore. It took us close to an hour to get there. The sun was just coming up. And as we got close, I saw a figure standing ankle deep in the water just off the shore. He must have been freezing, but he was staring at us. And as we got closer, he called. Have you caught anything, my friends? Andrew was the first to introduce me to him. Just over there, over there, by that rock. Simon, he said, <laughs> we have found the Messiah. And by the time we'd finished talking, the Messiah said, I was a rock as well. And the next day, we left our nets and followed him to go fishing for men. Surprising waters again. No, I said, no, we haven't caught anything. Got any ideas? He always had ideas. Try throwing your net on the other side of the boat, he said. And I was so cold and hungry by that time that I thought, yeah, I'll try anything. So we did. We did. I'd seen water turn to wine, lame men walk, blind men see, dead men come to life. I walked on water, for heaven's sake. And then this, more fish than we could count. We were just getting the last of it in the boat when John called out to me in a painfully obvious fashion, it's the Lord, Simon, it's the Lord. There was no need to check. I just grabbed my coat and jumped overboard. I thought maybe, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I could do it again. But then Thomas called after me. That's right, Mr. Faith, Mr. Trust, Mr. I won't believe it till I see it. Don't try it again, Peter, please. You're a rock, remember? <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> the water was freezing cold. I didn't care. Half walking, half swimming, half crawling. I got back to that shore as quickly as I could. It was the Lord. Of course it was the Lord. There was water everywhere. The excitement overflowing. I, I just couldn't stand up. And in some ways, in some ways, it was as difficult at that moment to walk in the water as I had been to walk on it. Finally, I scrambled up the shore. And, and what was Jesus doing? Jesus had only just come back from the dead. What was Jesus doing? He was cooking breakfast for us. That's what. Fish frying over the fire. Fish. Lots of fish. And we brought him plenty more. Surprising waters. Surprising waters. We sailed through a lot of them together. Yeah, yeah, I did a lot of sinking. <laughs> Regrets and failures. Speaking up when I should have kept quiet. And keeping quiet when I should have spoken up. But you know, nothing ever made him give up on me. Even that. Three times. And the rooster crowing in the distance. Even that. We had our fish breakfast. He took me to one side. Told me again that he loved me. And yeah, three times. 
I told him I loved him back. And then at the same place, by the same rock, he asked me again, and I said it again. Yes, I'll follow. W-W-J-D. What would Jesus do? That's always the question, isn't it? But the question tonight is just one letter different. And maybe given our frail nature, just a little more appropriate. W-W-P-D. What would Peter do? He followed the call. He saw his mother-in-law healed. He slept when he should have been awake. He drove out demons. He walked on water. He saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah transformed on the mountain. He found a coin in a fish's mouth. He had his feet washed. He cut off a servant's ear. He denied his Lord. He saw his risen Lord. He swam to his Lord. He was forgiven by his Lord. And he had breakfast with his Lord. (laughs) He had breakfast with his Lord. He had breakfast with his Lord. And in the end, he stood by that rock and agreed again to follow his Lord. Whatever the cost, despite his failures, no matter how surprising the waters, he simply said, I will follow wherever you take my hand and lead. That's what Peter would do. Wonderful, wonderful. So here's this amazing moment of remembrance as Jesus prepares to restore Peter and send him on this lifelong journey. He helps him to remember, visits all these key discipleship moments in his life as he remembers those stories as part of this amazing story. So here he is in waters of surprise, surprising waters. And I want tonight just to to highlight two surprises for you. Two things that would have surprised Peter on this amazing day. Number one, he sank. The rock sank. See, Peter wasn't that bright a guy. He was, Peter is the guy who, who I kind of tend to perceive as the guy in a big on promise, slow on delivery. Slow on the uptake, certainly. But he remembered. He remembered the story, obviously. Me in boat, big catch of fish, Jesus geezer on the water, over there calling me. My job now is to get on the water. Now, why do we know he thought that? Because he thinks, oh, look at those waves. It's going to be a bit nippy on the wave, so I'm going to put my cloak on to keep me warm as I walk across the water. You can see it almost going through Peter's head. Jesus, water, me, boat, big catch of fish, water looks choppy, bit cold, put on the cloak to keep me warm as I walk on the water. You can see him rehearsing and replaying the story. And of course, over he goes, bang, and lands, drops. Now, we don't know how deep it was at that particular point, we assume it was somewhere near they caught this uh, massive shoal of fish. So there must have been some depth there. And of course, in those days, that we have no real record, up until about 500 years ago, people actually doing the swimming thing. So for, for someone like Peter, this would have been a big shout to get over the boat, over the side, into the water. But if you believed on Jesus, 
And he knows that when Jesus calls and he steps on the water, he walks. Glug, glug, glug. Down he goes. And what was Peter doing here? As Peter was surprised as he began to sink with his cloak around him, what was he doing? He was doing what so many of us always do. Is we take what God did yesterday, we get secure around it, and we try and turn it into a formula for today. We take what God did yesterday, we get secure around it, and then we try and turn it into a formula for today. That's what Peter did. And that, in my experience of spring harvest, is what some of us could so easily be in danger of doing this week. Many of you, quick show of hands, we've been here before. Many of you. Those that are here for the first time, raise your hands. Big welcome for those people, please. Right. That's enough. Whether you've been here before, whether you've been to other Christian events before, chances are you've done the Peter thing. And those of you that come back here, you're saying, I remember God spoke in this way. God acted in that way. I heard God in this way. I encountered God in that way. So it's going to be the same again. And that often leads to two things. Number one, disappointment. Glug, glug, glug. Because it doesn't deliver as you expect it. So you're disappointed. Happens every, every Sunday in churches around the country. On the way out. And that kind of, you know... Uh, pastor pizza thing as they crucify the pastor on the way out. Didn't get much from the service today. Glug, glug, glug. We're disappointed because we're expecting the same as we had yesterday. And because we, we've turned it into a formula for today. The other thing it does is it puts us in a place where we miss what God might want to do. The way that God might want to surprise us. Peter's surprised that it didn't quite work out the way it did last time. And Jesus taught him a lesson. I've moved, Peter. I've moved to a different place. I've got something new to show you. And what he says to Peter those years ago, he says to you and I this week, don't come here expecting what you've done before because I, the living dynamic God, have moved on. I've gone to a different place. And I want you to come there with me. Just before we move on. I do have this kind of thing in my head. You know, God created humor. God created jokes. And I just have this image in my mind of Jesus sitting on the beach. And because he's God and knows everything, you know, he thinks, I know what Peter's going to do. He's thinking that what he's going to do is walk on water. I can imagine Jesus sitting on the beach, having a quick chat with the angelic choir. Watch this, boys. You know, whoom. <laughs> Don't know if he did that, but... Would have been very funny if he had. Anyway, let's not take what God did yesterday and turn it into a formula today. Let's come into this week expecting that God will say and do something new, something fresh, something different. Let's not stick God in our box of past experience and past security and do the Peter thing, expecting what God did yesterday and turn it into a formula for today. Let's allow the God of the Bible to be the dynamic living God he is and allow him to do something new. Secondly, second surprise for Peter in these surprising waters. What was Peter expecting from the resurrected Christ? I'd imagine the first time Jesus appeared to Peter, the first time he caught his gaze, Peter would have looked away. He would have averted the gaze. Such was his filled with shame for denying Jesus those three times. And the last thing that 
Peter was expecting was to be restored. Because probably Peter, deep, deep down, thought he was the disqualified one. He was the condemned one. And we have this amazing Jesus does Jamie moment on the beach where he begins a journey of restoration, sets a platform for this amazing conversation he's about to have with him, which we're going to look at later in the day. But Peter is about to get it. He's about to get it the way it needs to be got if we're going to be faithful to this story. And the bit that he's about to get is that the resurrected Jesus is the unconditionally loving Jesus. That the resurrected Jesus is the God of grace. You see, Peter began to understand in the day in which he lived where there were so many gods that people worshipped around the place and where Jews had this kind of perverted vision, many of them, of who God was, that theirs was a God of appeasement. That somehow they had to appease God. They had to please God. They had to act in a way and speak in a way and behave in certain ways to please and appease their God, to be accepted by their God. And Peter knows the rules, that with the God thing, your job is to obey and appease, and if you don't, you'll be rejected, because that's what those kind of gods do. Peter's about to learn in a profound way that actually Jesus is the God of grace. It's a thing that sets Christianity apart from every other world faith. In the sense in which ours is not an appeasing God. You don't have to look a certain way and act a certain way and behave a certain way and know certain people and do certain things to be accepted by this God. All you have to do, Peter's about to discover, is to say, thank you. To receive the grace of God. For ours is not an appeasing God. Not just those that have occasionally let God down, but even the enemies of the ways of God. We can talk much these days about Iran and Iraq and terrorism and all sorts of things. And never far from the memory, particularly for our cousins in North America, is the story of 9-11. There's a friend of mine. He was in a prayer meeting in California. And it was a couple of days after 9-11. And they were praying for the victims of 9-11. And they were praying for those that had suffered and died. And they were praying for the firemen and the policemen and the relatives. They were praying for all these people. And then suddenly somebody stood up and they prayed for the terrorists that had committed that atrocity. And they prayed for the loved ones who had broken hearts of those terrorists. And my friend said, you know, it was really only at that point that it became a Christian prayer meeting. Up until that point, it could have been any kind of prayer meeting. But it was only when we prayed for our enemies that it became a Christian prayer meeting. For we worship, we love, and we follow a God of grace who says you don't have to do anything or say anything or do anything in particular to be appeased and accepted by me. You just need to say thank you. And Peter is discovering this remarkable revelation. And what Peter encountered in the Jesus of grace What we, the message, the story, the remembrance that we, the one, holy, Catholic, apostolic church, this message we've been given, what we know, and what our world desperately wants to know is that there's a God in heaven who accepts us as we are. And all we have to do initially is just say thank you to be accepted by this God. This is not a gospel of acceptability. 
but a gospel of unconditionality, a gospel of grace. A friend of mine, a friend of mine on Russia's actually, was in, um, uh, works uh, in the red light district uh, of a city in Canada. And her and her husband live in this particular area, and they had a little boy called Zion. And uh, she would often go walking uh, and pushing him around. On this particular occasion, she had little Zion, about 18 months old, 24 months old at the time, on her shoulders, walking through the red light, light, light district. Prostitutes, drug addicts, pimps, vagrants, drunks filled these particular streets. And as she was walking down, having conversation with different people, she stopped and began talking to this working woman this prostitute. And the woman looked at the little boy and said, darling, you're too beautiful to be in a place like this. And Danielle, my friend, turned to her, looked her right in the eye and said, and so are you. God fixes people. He's a God who invites us just to say thank you for his amazing grace. And then he woos and he wins us to his ways so that we only ever want to live in a way that pleases him. But it only begins with a thank you. And the message we want you to understand this week, more than any other, is the message that we've been entrusted with as the one true, holy, Catholic, apostolic church, is that we've been entrusted with the gospel, the story of grace. Some of you will remember a few weeks ago there was an issue in Parliament around law and EU regulations and Christians and the gay community. And some of those questions are really important questions. But on this particular day, while the demonstration was taking place, I was stuck in a cab on the embankment. Any of you who know London at all will know there's very few things worse than sitting in a cab on the embankment, apart from sitting in a strain standing still on the Northern Line. That is worse. (laughs) And I was listening to talk radio, and on talk radio... A conversation was taking place between the talk radio host and one of the spokespeople from the Christian organization. And you can see what was happening. The, the, the interview was quite clever. He was trying to bait this guy, you know, into all sorts of things. He obviously was quite antagonistic towards the Christian. But basically, the issue emerged. This was an issue about how this Christian viewed gay people. And so the clever interviewer turned to the guy and said, Listen, so let me ask you a question. Can you be gay and be a Christian? And I shuffled slightly forward on my seat. The guy said, well, of course, he's, you know, we're not here to talk about that today. He said, no, no, I said, don't, don't duck the question. Can you be gay and be a Christian? The guy said, look, he said, uh, well, let's talk about the issue. He said, no, 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 he said, don't duck my question. Can you be gay and be a Christian? Asked him four times, and the guy blurts out, and he said, well, of course, he says, it, it, it's not my God, it's not my job to, to judge that, that's God's job. And at this point, I'm on the end of my seat. The cab driver's listening there, whispering a few obscenities to the guy on the radio as he did so. And I was on the end of my seat, and I wanted to scream at the top of my voice, of course you can be gay and be a Christian, of course you can! Because all you need to do to be a follower of Jesus it's an issue to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all you need to say. It doesn't depend on what you speak, or what you wear, or what songs you sing, or who you hang out with, or even who you sleep with. It's only about your ability to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you.
Peter learned the lesson on that day. That as we say thank you and receive the grace that he offers, he begins to win us and woo us and draw us to his place. And I speak to lots of people about Jesus. And most people I speak to, they believe in God. And most people I speak to, even though they struggle with a suffering question, they think that God's probably a good God. The one burning question in their heart is, but will this God accept me? And I wish I'd been able to scream on that day, down that radio, yes! Because all you have to do is say thank you for the gift of grace. And some would say, Phil, don't be naive. Don't be naive, son. You know, the, the, this is, this is, you know we, we can't concede that ground and, and we've got to be careful. And of course, the guy was setting him up and it's an important political debate and it's an important argument. I'm going, you know what? I'm not naive. I know those things are important. But if actually in seeking to win debates and win arguments, we violate the most precious gift at the foundation of our faith, then that's a price too high. And in truth, we may have to lose a few arguments. We may have to lose a few debates to win a lost world. And I would like to apologize to any of you here tonight. You might be new to the church. You might be new to Christian things. And you might be sitting and going, well, yeah, but I always thought you had to behave in a certain way. Yeah? You had to get yourself good enough first before you came to church. I, because I, I've never felt I'd be good enough to do the church thing or the Christian thing. And, and I always thought you had to behave like those people and be like... I want to say tonight, we apologize. We profoundly apologize. If we've hidden the amazing message of grace that Peter discovered on that beach, that our God is a loving, gracious God that invites us into intimacy of relationship and usefulness for him. And it only begins with us responding to that invitation and saying, thank you. We've celebrated this last couple of weeks, 200 years since the um, slavery was abolished. And of course, one of the amazing stories of that time was the story of that man who himself had been an abuser and a murderer and a crook and a violator of people from Africa. And this man discovered the same thing that Peter discovered, that actually despite the horror of his previous life, there was a God in heaven that invited us, invited us into relationship, no matter what we had done and who we had been. And all it begins with is by saying thank you for that gift of grace and new life that he offers. And John Newton, when he understood that message, wrote those beautiful words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a stinking, filthy, murdering, corrupt, lying, cheating, abusing, horrible, horrible man like me. And we have been entrusted with the wonderful message that that God accepts us despite of ourselves and invites us into that relationship. That's enough from me. Rihanna is going to come and sing a song to us.
in a second. And as she does so, and we're going to draw our evening to a close, I want to encourage you to, to, to think about what surprises that you are going to have and receive from Jesus this week. I want to encourage you to be open and available to what it is God may want to say, something new that God may want to say and do in you and through you during these days. Something fresh he might want to do, so don't stick him in a box. We want you to be encaptured again, afresh and new, by the amazing message of grace that we've been entrusted as the one true, holy, apostolic, Catholic church. We have been entrusted with that. To take that message to a world that wants to desperately know that there's a God in heaven that loves them and accepts them as they are. I want to encourage you to reflect upon that as you leave, if you want to. There's, as you leave at the entrance, there are some stones. And uh, as we said, the nation of Israel, they'd often remember through stones, rocks and stones. These were these cans they made, they were, they were altars, they were places of remembrance. We may want to take one of those stones on the way out and say, you know what, as I carry this stone this week in my pocket, my bag, wherever it might be, I want to be surprised by God. I want to be someone who learns and knows how better to take this amazing, restorative message of Jesus out to a hurting world as part of the one people of God. And as Rhiannon comes and sings, others of you may have already made a decision. Some of you came to Spring Harvest this year to say, this is the day when I know I'm going to make that step. This is the day when I'm going to make that step towards Jesus and say, thank you. And begin my new life living in him and with him and through him. And you came here this week to make that decision. Was Rhiannon sings a song to us about that amazing story of grace. I want to encourage you to maybe, as she sings, just come forward and come and meet some of our friends over here and say, this is the day when that decision is being made. I want to encourage you that at the beginning of this week, and then go into the rest of the week, amazed and surprised at the new things that God wants to do in you and through you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the power of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you so much for your invitation to us. Thank you so much that you continue to surprise us. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters here tonight, that as they go into this week, they will allow themselves to be surprised by you. They would encounter you in a fresh way and a new way and a deep way. And that Jesus, you would surprise each of us in just the enormity of the gospel of grace that you've given us and refresh and renew us in the power of that in our own lives as well as for the world in which we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Rihanna comes and sings, if that's a decision that you want to make this night and say thank you and give your life in his hands and you do that, come and stand over here as she sings to us. Thank you very much. God bless you.